The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to episode number 106 of the Marine Layer podcast. We welcome on Mariners reliever Gabe Spire for a conversation about some Mariners bullpen stories, his evolution within the Mariners pitching system, and the time he hit a home run in the minor leagues. We'll also discuss some of the miracle work Scott Service did this offseason, keeping the team morale together and getting them ready for this 2024 season. Here's your reminder before we start the show, make sure to download our episodes if you're listening, rate and review five stars, you're doing us a big favor if you do. If you're watching on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, and then follow us on social media where you can check us out on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Monday night, February 26th. The games have been rolling since we last recorded. Wow, what a lot of fun. What has been your favorite thing to come out here in the last couple of days? I like seeing Cole Young take the ball the other way and almost leave the yard here on Monday. What did I say? What did I say? Doesn't that guy have a chance to get up to the majors by the end of this year? Yeah, he does. He he does. And that swing, I will say, that thing is sweet and high definition. It is it is a crispy swing, and that not an easy swing to put uh, as a left hander. But but he managed to do that. How storybook is it for Mitch? First at bat back. I mean, boom. That was going to be my other one, but I figured you were going to take that one. Yeah, that's yeah. the easy one where mm-hmm. you see Cole Young go the other way like that today. Again, it's one at bat in spring training. I'm not locking in the fact he'll play in the majors in 24, but I feel like despite it only being one spring training at bat, that take of mine is a little bit at least backed up today as in the fact that like he's playing in big league games, he's getting in major league action, and he looked pretty good doing it. He looked pretty good doing it. That's all I'll say. I have a couple of ingredients for a Cole Young debut in 2024. First of all, he pulls out a Vladdy minor league stretch where he hits 400. That'll be a good start. Second, the Mariners do not sign Matt Chapman and don't plug their third base hole as it currently stands. And three, the third base hole looks like a hole once they reach the trade deadline slash August slash September. Uh, I didn't know, realize it this week, dog, that made me a a little nervous. Luis Urias has yet to throw ball across the diamond because of his shoulder. Like, that's not good. No, no, that's not good. And we're sitting here trying to, trying to, trying to fantasize that the Mariners third base option could actually be better than Matt Chapman, as it's currently stated. And well, if Luis Urias can't throw ball across the diamond, then that's not going to be the case. I'm sorry. It sounded like it was pretty minor. All the injuries right now sound sound minor, which is why I don't think anybody should really be freaking out about any of these injuries right now. Like you saw people kind of lose their mind about the whole Matt Brash thing this weekend, which I guess for those who aren't informed, he has been delayed from throwing any bullpens for a few days. 
I think he has a minor arm thing and they're checking it out. That's about it. Yeah. Like this stuff happens in February all the time. But there were legit people quote tweeting that tweet when it happened. It's like season's over. Yeah, he said he felt a little banged up, which, okay. He threw two bullpens. He took the weekend off. Hopefully he feels better this week. As of right now, there is no update. Uh, how about something that's actually positive for a guy who literally couldn't get on the field early enough last season and, and you know, struggled to get ramped up? You know, Andres Munoz looks about as good good as you can in February. I mean, this dude was hitting 101 on the backfield and said he feels amazing. How awesome is that? Yeah, it's great. Considering two of your three-headed monster pieces aren't throwing right now, or Gregory Santos, they said today as of Tuesday, just started ramping up his throwing program, or started throwing, I should say. Yeah, it's nice to see the final guy in Munoz look about as good as he's looked in an early February period. So great. Like I, we would expect Andres Munoz to look great anyway, but hearing good reports is never a bad thing. Lastly, five-star alarm. Julio's not been in a lineup yet. He has some hand inflammation. So uh, season's over. I, just like Brash. There's people yeah. saying season's <laughs> over. Like Julio, people saying season's over. Even though Divish said today, like for those of you who want to take a deep breath, Julio was hitting in the cage today. He just didn't play in the game. It's almost like, wow, you don't want to actually make an injury worse in February, and one that's very minor, we should add. Now, so. people have to ask if there's a correlation between playing too much basketball outside the facility and being injured. Got to ask. You know, I, I got to say, so the video did come out today where they were doing a three-point competition right behind Brock and Sock today. Uh, I'm going to say I, I, there was a lot of misses on that hoop. You, you could tell they're not not all basketball players. Well, I was going to say, what was who was the starting five that got named when we asked this question at the field earlier in the year? Well, I think Julio put himself in there, and he said, I think he said Kirby, a couple guys said Saucedo. Cal. Yeah, Saucedo well, is going to be in there. Yeah. Well, I think Sauce put himself in there. But yeah. um, <laughs> I don't think Sauce is getting left out of the starting lineup. He's not going to let anyone let that happen. I got to say, I did see Brian Wu break out a couple of like nonchalant between the leg dribbles, and that just makes me think that like, he he'd be okay. Yeah, he, he became, it looked it looked very natural. It didn't look like it was forced. It looked like he does this quite often. Yeah, he I I'll take his word for it. And you know what? I think Sauce played basketball in high school, so we'll give him that one. Hmm. I will say my final little storyline is we tweeted it out today on Tuesday too. But like, shout out our guy Reed Van Scooter. Guy gets in in a big league game and just box score wise had the best outing of anybody today. Like. Two innings, four strikeouts, no runs, no walks. He gave up one hit. Like, that's great. I'm sure we'll start the year in double A and we'll see where he ends up at the end of the year. But, like, he looked really good today. Yeah, shout out our guy, Reed. That's amazing to see. Amazing to see the young guys show out here early in spring training. Again, for a system that doesn't have very many major league ready guys, it's cool to see the guys a step below that continuing to progress. And especially, again, getting to watch them on network television quality cameras is just a treat because <laughs> once you go down to once you go down to Everett in Arkansas it is certainly not that so we appreciate the opportunity to get to look at them in that sense uh, another thing that came out this week Lyle just an awesome piece written by Ryan Divish that I think we just need to talk about here he went a little bit more in depth on Scott Service's off-season escapade around the Americas to visit his team leaders and sort of keep everyone at bay I mean what a job he did. 
They pinpointed leaders of the team. They saw how the offseason was going. They saw how fans were receiving it all after all the 54% stuff too, obviously. And clearly there was a plan in the organization that said, okay, we have got to do some damage control here. And not just damage control. We've got to get everybody on the same page. So what did they do? They sat down. They picked out a handful of guys who we who they felt like, these are our team leaders. And we're not just going to go call them. We are going to meet in person. We're going to talk things out. We're going to explain what the process is behind all this. Because we don't want questions behind closed doors with players saying, what are we doing? Why is this happening? Why is Gino getting traded away? Why is Kelnick getting traded away? Like they sat down and said, this is what's going to happen. Bear with us. And now everybody not only seems like they're on the same page, but people are fired up. Like we talked about on Friday, people are coming into this spring training being like, let's go. Everybody's fired up to work. Everybody's happy with, and in the end, with the moves that got made. And it seems like those meetings were pretty productive between the handful of guys that they picked out to meet with. Scott like made it a point to say they'd never had these kind of conversations before. And multiple of these team leaders said they'd never had a manager put that much effort in in an off season to do this kind of thing. Like, let's not get it fooled. The optimism that is in this 2024 Mariner season does not happen without Scott's service and the job he did this off season. It does not happen. It does like what is the message at spring training right now if Scott Service hadn't gotten on a plane and flown to the Dominican Republic and went fishing with Luis Castillo to go sit there and talk to his ace? Like what happens if he's not telling him why they traded the guy he essentially came up to the big leagues with and has played with throughout pretty much his whole career in Gino Suarez and Castillo sitting there like, what are we doing? But it's Scott's job to get on a plane again and go all the way to the DR to talk with Luis Castillo. Say, listen, here's what here's what we're doing. Here's what we're up against. Here's how we're going to try and fix it. Here's the moves we're going to knock out. And this is a group effort as well because Scott can talk all he wants. But Jerry needs and Justin need to come back behind him and deliver, and they certainly did. And another telling thing about this, the the part of this story that that stuck out the most is Scott made sure he wanted to hear every guy out individually. So he so he started with Cal, and then he wanted to do Ty and JP because they're both in the Seattle area. So Cal was on the phone, at least the first conversation was on the phone, and then Ty and JP were next. They're both working out a driveline. Yet Scott said, I need to talk to these guys individually, even though they're spending a lot of time together. I need to sit down with each one individually and get the individual person's opinion on this. And I mean, that's all relationship building. It's it, it could be so much different if it's the three of them sitting at a table together. But Scott's like, no, 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 no. We got to do this individually and individually talk this out and individually get this mindset right between the two of us. And that's awesome. And yeah. Uh, like I, I can't have enough praise. Like, how many managers in baseball want to put in that much effort with their roster in the offseason? Not many, not many. And and this job that Scott did this offseason could be the difference in like guys wanting to stay here and sign extensions. If like Scott's staying, wouldn't you want that guy as your manager? Like, if yes. you're Cal Raleigh and you want to sign an extension, you're like, I love that dude. I mean, look at the effort he did with all this chaos that's going around above us. He's like, trust me, guys, we got this. Yeah, it certainly helps. And I know there's probably going to be people that heard you say what you just said. It's like, oh, well, Boris guy, Boris guy. Yeah, we know. We're not saying it's it's 100% certainty. We're not by any means saying that. But 
When you have a manager that you believe in and you know he believes in you, it makes a big difference. I guarantee you it means a lot to Cal Raleigh that Scott Service sits him down and says, you are one of the most important players on this team. You're one of the leaders of this team. And what you have to say matters. Like that, like athletes are human beings. They are not, you know, they're not, they're not droids or cyclones. They're not just programmed. No, these are human beings. And when you get told you matter like that, that's a big deal. And you know that meant a lot to Cal Raleigh. You know a lot of, it meant a lot to all these guys that they met with. I think it was pretty cool that after, wait, was it after before he met with Luis that he went and saw Julio? I think it was after. After, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think it was pretty cool how Scott talked about he went to Tampa to go watch Julio work out. And not only did Scott say, wow, like these are, these are workouts. Like, like it's not just, these aren't just some players running around and doing some agility drills. No, Julio is like pushing himself to the absolute limit paired with Julio saying, he felt like it was cool to have Scott see him work out. So then Julio could say, yeah, now Scott knows. Like, I'm not just out here messing around. I'm not out here just soaking up the sunlight. I'm out here to put in the work to be an MVP. I thought that was pretty cool. And Logan Gilbert, he obviously met with too, because he's in the same state. <laughs> Scott Service deserves a ton of credit for doing this. And I'm sure there's other people in the organization that sat down and came up with some sort of this plan with him. But the fact Scott took all this time to go do that, like Scott's got an off season too. He's got a family. He's got things I'm sure he wants to do, but he knows how important this is. He knows how important it is to keep this group one on the same page and two people keeping people with a positive energy. And you think that doesn't play a factor into how high and into how hype these guys are getting into spring training this year. No, I think it plays a factor. And Scott, I think, put it perfectly here at the end of this article. You want them to trust that it's all going to work out in the end and that when we go into spring training, we're going to have a good team. We're going to try and keep our core group intact and try to add to it. And I think we have it. I mean, that checks out. That's what they did. Core group checked in on during the offseason, kept together with a consistent message, and then add around it. And then everyone sits around and looks like it's like, well, we've got good team chemistry. We have a good lineup. We have the best pitching staff in the American League. You know, I'm kind of liking this. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of liking this. I am, and it's, and it's just cool to see like Luis Castillo say like, I mean, he just sat down and like, no manager has done this for me before. Now Scott is always welcome in my house because he did this. Him and Pete Woodworth when they went down there, no, like no one else bothered to come all the way to the DR to see me and sit in my boat. Which also, by the way, side note, also called the Rock, which is <laughs> which is pretty cool on Luis's part. Um, but I'm sure I'm sure it's a good fishing boat. But shout out to Scott Service, man. The like you can always talk about external roster additions, but much like the current state of college football, it's also what you do with your current roster as well. And I wouldn't call it a total re-recruitment, but, you know, getting everyone on the same page and delivering that message. Oh, so important. So in case people either haven't read the story or didn't totally follow along, the guys that they identified as the key pieces of this team, the leaders who he went and met with, he met with JP and Ty France in Seattle. He met with Logan Gilbert and Julio in Florida. He met with Luis in the Dominican Republic and with Cal. I think that one might've just been a phone call. It, it might have been. So Cal was in the process of moving to Arizona at that point mm-hmm. when right. he called him. So I think Cal's residence might he might have multiple residences, but I'm, it sounded like Ty was or Cal was between spots at that point. But so yeah. maybe it was. Yeah. So yeah. it might have been a logistics thing with Cal. But yeah. still, those are the guys I identified saying this is the these are the leaders of the team. Let's meet with them. Let's get everybody on the same page. And it's interesting, too, with JP. 
from what Divish reported in his story, JP, when they first sat down, it sounded like one, he had a lot of questions and two, he said to himself, like, kind of like, what's going on? He said the same thing like a lot of us were saying when all the trades were happening. But it sounds like after the meeting was adjourned and he had more of an understanding of what was going to happen, he walked away in a lot better place, which is pretty cool. And the thing that was brought up is that, you know, JP, at least speaking from what Divish wrote, you know, sometimes has a hard time trusting the organizations he's played with just because of the the failures he endured as a top prospect mm-hmm. coming up and said, like, it just like the, the wording of it, like a, that it kind of broke him and then he had a hard time trusting. So when stuff like this happens, like, well, this can't be happening around me right now. And he said it felt very refreshing to have Scott come in there and say, mm, no, we're we're good. We're good, dude. I think we've also learned, if anything, if anything we've learned about this offseason, we have learned JP and Ty are even closer friends than I realized. I knew those guys were friends, but they've been almost two peas in a pod all winter. Like they, they, they barely spend any time apart is how it seems. They're always together at the field and spring training. They're together at driveline. They're seen hanging out during the winter. Like those guys are kind of inseparable. Pretty cool. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty cool, pretty cool story to have. And, you know, hopefully JP will be hitting him, uh, hitting him there at first base, right in the mitt. Plenty of times this season. I can't wait. All right. Let's take a quick pause for just a second. We're going to talk to you guys about who our friends over at Pagacha's pub 85, because we love to hang out over there. Cause there's a million awesome things that you can do. You can go eat some food, have some great drinks. You want to play some pool. You want to watch some games. There's 22 TVs in the place. So it's really your one-stop shop for everything you need with a good sporting event with your friends. So if you're interested in that, head over there. And if you want some good drink specials, go during happy hour. It's from Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. It includes $3 domestic beers, $4 Manny's Blue Moons, $4 Mac and Jacks, $4 Wells, and $4 house wine. You can get all that and have an awesome time with your friends over at Pagacha's Pub 85 in Kirkland. I was a big fan of this conversation with Gabe Spire. I want to say, no, I, I can't rank any of these interviews, but another really, really, really good conversation with another Mariners reliever. Gabe is very real. He's down to earth. What I loved about this one is it felt very free flowing. And I think a lot of our conversations have had that, but I felt that especially with Gabe as, as the more we got into it, especially the second half of the conversation, I feel like, like it was just it was, the best way I can put it is it felt like three people just sitting and talking. Well, I know why Lyle wants to rank this one as high as he possibly can, even though, again, we're not ranking, because we talked more about peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on this one than I think we have yet. And I mean, that that's just the, that's the deal breaker. That's the deal breaker. What what kind of bread are we using? Is it an uncrustable? Like, that, a lot of decisions to be made here. How that <laughs> got into the conversation, we'll leave that for you guys to listen and find out. But... <laughs> Yeah, admittedly, if you're going to make me take some truth serum, if the re- like one of many reasons I'd probably want to rank this interview with Gabe pretty high is, look, you're going to tee me up to talk about peanut butter and jelly. You're you're winning the key to my heart here. So <laughs> shout out to you, Gabe. You didn't know it when you brought it up, but you just went way up the totem pole. No, but in all seriousness, really, really fun conversation. Like, yeah, this this bullpen, I think I think everybody knows from afar that it's a very easy group of guys to root for. But I can say from the handful of guys in this bullpen we've gotten to talk to this winter, it goes from like a like an eight or eight and a half in terms of a likable group to all the way to like a nine and a half or ten in terms of man, this is such a cool group of dudes who are genuinely friends out there and all combined to like dominate. 
tying it into the the PB and J thing, I know how we got there because Gabe is a big nickname guy, and we you know we throw around some nicknames. So that that's a little little thing, little nugget there in the interview that you're going to want to listen to. But we don't want to keep you any longer. Let's get to our interview with Gabe Spire. At Parker, our purpose is simple: we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, we've got Mariners left-handed reliever Gabe Spire on with us. There's only one way I can start this. You're a member of this bullpen. I'm starting with this. Babe Ruth, real or not real? <laughs> I saw that clip of you guys and Sauce talking about that. Um, you know, I think probably some of the legends and stories might not be real, but Babe Ruth as a human being, I think for sure is a real, real person. <laughs> okay. What I'm picking up on this is most of this bullpen is, is open-minded to listening to this argument, but I'm getting the feeling that Sauce is very, very much on one side of this and everybody else is like, well... We can listen to the argument, but it's not as definitive as he is. Yeah, I mean, Sauce likes to joke around a lot, and uh, I don't know how serious he is on the matter, but um, he loves to loves to kind of stir the pot, and that's kind of something that he does, and it's great for you know camaraderie and the bullpen especially. And uh, I think if you truly asked him, he would say he believes that Babe Ruth was real, but he, like I said, he loves to stir the pot and have his fun um, and he loves to kind of like have those uh, touchy conversations. So, you know, I think he probably thinks Babe Ruth is real, but he loves to tell people that he's not just to kind of stir the pot. <laughs> I will Did, say was he trying to, was he trying to send you guys videos of that like thread of Babe Ruth videos that was on Twitter like a month ago? Yeah. 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 Me, um, me, him, and Topa, RIP. We're gonna miss him greatly. But uh, so wait. we're all on like yeah, yeah we're on a uh, <laughs> a group text, and and we're always sending each other stuff like that. Like who's who is the player that's like uh, the red seed out at Fenway oh, with like the Ted, seven foot Ted home Williams. run, Ted Williams. That, that was our next no, question. Yeah, I, there's absolutely no shot that that happened. We went out there and. And I think Sauce mentioned it, like they put a metal bat in Big Poppy's hands and he couldn't even get it close. I just, I don't see how that could be possible. <laughs> so I think, okay, so these bull, this whole bullpen group is very definitive on that because Topa had the same answer, Sauce had the same answer. And I will yeah. say the Babe Ruth thing's a little more fluctuated, but I'll say you <laughs> threw Sauce under the bus a little bit more than Topa did because when we asked Justin this question, he just kind of, gave his answer and he's like you know what sauce is gonna believe what he believes but you're kind of like oh i think he's putting on a show i think he's putting on a little bit of an act here i mean it's not necessarily a show i mean it's more just it's just who it is he loves Mm -hmm. to have those type of conversations bring up kind of like the conspiracy theories and he's just being himself and he's like i said everybody loves him he's awesome he's he's one of my you know really good friends in the game and he just, yeah, he just loves to have those conversations and kind of stir the pot a little bit. So on the topic of Saucedo, then 
when he told you guys he got lost after the Kraken game you guys all went to, did you believe him or did you think he was full of crap? Oh, no, that was 100%. I was so that's a true story. I 100% yeah. <laughs> believe him. Uh, yeah, that was crazy. So we went to the Kraken playoff game. It was awesome. They won, it was like a super high scoring game. They won like seven to three or something like that. And so great game. And then we walked back. I drove my truck. Uh, I took Topa and uh, Sauce, and my truck had gotten broken into. So Sauce is like, oh, you got a lot on your plate. Like, I'm just going to Uber. And he orders his Uber, and, like, immediately after he ordered it, it died. And, and you know, then the story came. And it was – it's, like, one of the all-time stories, and I 100% believe him. <laughs> Did you guys follow the North Star home, too? Oh, gosh. Um <laughs> Yeah, he is. You know, I guess you can consider him a wise man. So following <laughs> yeah. the North Star and got him home. Um, it's just so funny because he's from the Seattle area. I mean, obviously, we rely so much on our phones and I would be I would be in the same position if my phone died. But it's just funny because that happened and he's also from Seattle. <laughs> Well, it wasn't like a 30-minute detour either. From what he explained to us, it was for like five hours. He couldn't figure yeah. out what he was trying to do. Yeah, and yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we had a good time at the game. I mean, I'm not going to say he was like <laughs> – he was – you know, he probably had a couple drinks. We all did. It was – you know, we had a good team outing. And yeah, it was super unfortunate that that happened to him, but it ended up being a great story. And I think – he ended up pitching the next day on like, you know, just minimal sleep. And I think he did well. Like, and it was, it's just, it's just a really great story. What did people say the next day when the story got out between what Scott or the coaching staff said, or what the rest of the, the guys said, like, did people say things along the lines of what you got lost in your own city? Question mark. Oh yeah. I mean, he got, he got some, he got some, uh, you know, crap for it for sure. But I mean, ultimately he was able to do his job the next day and, and it was all good. But, uh, yeah, just that story, I think that's going to stick with Sauce for uh, the rest of his career. So, Gabe, you have been a lot of places before you finally established yourself with the Mariners this past season. You were in a lot of trades. Like, there was one very famous trade you were, you were in. And I want to read this description of this trade, how they portrayed you. And I want you to react to, to what this article thought of like described you as part of this trade the Shelby Miller trade Danzy Swanson Shelby Miller trade very uh especially of us who's interact with a lot of Diamondbacks fans not a a very impactful trade for uh for them not in a good way but you were included yeah. in that trade as well and you were described in a fan graphs article Gabe as quote who is a player do you uh do you like that description of yourself <laughs> I mean yeah, no, that I've been, you know, I've been overlooked a lot in my career. I'm an undersized left-handed reliever. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, all of that has just fueled the fire for me throughout my whole career. And, you know, they can say what they want. It's just noise. But, um, and also, you know, at the time, I was like a low-A pitcher, you know. I, you know, so it is what it is. But, but yeah, no, I, I wouldn't say I like that, no. But uh, at the same time, like, I've had a chip on my shoulder my whole career and anybody that, you know, wants to dish, dish out, it's just, it's just helping me. So it's all good. Well, that's, I mean, that's good to hear. But uh, so now that you're like, actually, you're a established big leader, can you like look back at those trades and you're like, well, like there's a lot of baseball history with my name in it. 
Yeah, you know, at the time going through all those trades, you know, I was a minor league guy being involved in like some significant major league trades. So for me, it was really cool. I mean, I, you know, getting traded for the first overall pick, I mean, not me, just me for him, but uh, being involved in that was, it was super cool. I mean, I was like a 19, 20 year old kid being involved in these trades and it was, it was for me, it was super exciting. And, uh, you know, bouncing around a lot. I wouldn't change it for the world. I mean, I've I've got to meet a lot of good people from a lot of different organizations, and it's been great. I wouldn't change my path to the big leagues um, at all. So it's been a, it's been a roller coaster, but a good one. Yeah, I guess for those who may not know, so it wasn't just the Shelby Miller Dansby Swanson trade, but the other three times you were traded, one of them was to the Tigers for Yoan Cespedes, one of them was to the Braves for Cameron Maben, the other was for John Jay, and that was to the Royals. Like, so, so to that point, yeah, it's got to be kind of, at least in some way, while it's probably not fun to be traded, there's got to be something on the other end that says, well, there's always a team out there that wants me. There's somebody that likes what I bring. Like, yeah, is that a mindset yeah. you have? Yeah, I always joke. I say everybody and nobody wants me. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's not easy to get traded. Thankfully, you know, the majority, I think three of the four were during the off season. So it wasn't like I had to pack up and didn't leave, but it definitely was tough at times, like feeling like, excuse me, just getting comfortable in an organization, like making friends and and getting comfortable with, you know, coaches and staff and, and then feeling at home and then getting shipped off somewhere else and kind of having to restart that. Like that wasn't necessarily the easiest thing, but at the end of the day where every team is playing the same game, it's not like the biggest deal in the world to me. Um, and like I said, it's been great. I've had some great experiences with every organization I've been with. So, yeah. Did one of those trades stick out more to you than the other one? The way it felt on you, the phone call you had, the, your relationship with the organization, any of that? Yeah. Um, well, I would say the most excited I was was being claimed by the Mariners. But as far as trades go, yeah, getting traded to the Diamondbacks and like that kind of like high profile up trade was um, really cool and having you know uh, the GM call me from the Diamondback saying we're happy to have you this this trade wouldn't have happened without you I, it could have just been words but uh, it definitely made me feel wanted and and it is you know when you get traded that means the organization wants you and it's a good feeling so let's piggyback off that a little bit you said the most excited you've been of any of these acquisitions is when the Mariners claimed you last year mm-hmm. we talked to Topa and Sauce, a couple other guys who said when they got here and they had their first meeting or two with the team, with the pitching group, and they sat them down and said, hey, here's what you do really well. Here's what we want you to do. They talked about how they were just blown away. In fact, Sauce was saying Trent Thornton said the same thing. They were like, I've never had meetings like that. That was super cool. And I, like, I've never thought of it that way. When you had your first meeting with those guys, like, were you pretty impressed when you walked away from it? Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, pitching with Kansas City, I'm super thankful for Kansas City. They gave me the opportunity to pitch in the big leagues and live out my dream, but um, I couldn't really gain any traction there. I was kind of an up and down guy for them. And that year, I pitched well in the big leagues. Um, I had like a two something in 20 innings, you know, smaller sample size, but I felt I threw the ball well. And then I got sent down to AAA and I couldn't get anybody out. And I had a really rough couple months in AAA, and I had legitimate thoughts of I might never pitch in the big leagues again. 
So when the Mariners, when I was DFA'd and the Mariners claimed me, I was like, like, let's go. Like, not only am I getting another chance, but I'm getting another chance with a team that's that was just in the playoffs last year. Like, this is awesome. And to answer your question about that first initial meeting with the Mariners, um, with Woody, he was just like, listen, we picked you up. I was expecting, hey, we want you to change the grip on your slider. We want you to change all this stuff. And it was the opposite. It was just, um, you know, we picked you up because we really like what you bring to the table. We just need you to throw more strikes and attack hitters in a slightly different way. And hearing that just, you know, gave me a bunch of confidence. Like, hey, these guys really just like what I have already. Like, I don't need to change much. It's just a maybe a shift in mentality or, um, you know, attacking hitters. And that was really refreshing to hear. And, and it gave me a lot of confidence. And, you know, I was able to take that confidence into last season and kind of run with it. So it was it was a lot of fun last year. From uh, stuff I've read and, and and heard about the story of that first conversation, wasn't the question he asked you is like he was asking you about your fastball usage and you said you didn't really have an answer for it. And he's like, yeah. hey, like, I really actually kind of like your sinker more. Throw it more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, previously before the Mariners, I was almost strictly forcing slider to left handed hitters. And, you know, I've, I've always been decent at getting left handed hitters out, but um, he said, why, yeah, why don't you throw your sinker to lefties? And I, I was just like, well, cause nobody's ever told me to do that. Like, and, um, he's like, well, you need to do that. Cause there was like a small thing. I had thrown some sinkers to lefties and he's like, everyone you've thrown, like nobody's hit it hard. Like you've maybe given up one hit, like, this is what you need to do. And I was just like, why haven't I heard this before? And, um, and so, yeah, Woody pointed that out. And that was, that was a big thing. I mean, I, love throwing sinkers to lefties now it's like my favorite thing to do so it's definitely helped okay i want to put a pin in your whole pitch arsenal thing and i'll circle back to it in a minute or two but when you started to have the success you did last year did it ever resonate with you and if it did like at what point did it start to resonate with you where you said and i'm having a really good year like like everything is clicking for me like did you allow yourself to feel that way at all yeah i mean you know i mean People will always say, like, they'll, you know, you'll mention a stat to them and they'll be like, yeah, I didn't know that. I have a hard time believing that. I think people know what's going on and how they're doing. And, um, yeah, I mean, I had had some success in the big leagues with the Royals. and But, yeah, last year, that first month, I, I didn't give up a run the first month of the season. I was like, I can do this. Like, I belong here. And, and yeah, so I kind of realized it quick in the first month, I'd say. And it it wasn't just your stuff, Gabe, that ticked up. It was the 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 stat that that lived in infamy last year for this pitching staff. It's throwing first pitch strikes. You were you were the guy, seventy eight percent. And the year before in Kansas City was forty eight percent. I think first pitch strikes, like total uh, total polar opposites. What were you sort of when they're when they're trying to get you to throw more first pitch strikes? You're like, well, I don't want to be too predictable. Was that, is that ever yeah. a pushback in that? No, I, I, as soon as it was, you know, that's the Mariners pitching philosophy is dominate the zone and, and when the OO and the one, one counts and, you know, they didn't just say that they showed me the data to back it up. It was, it's crazy. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's like, if you're in an OO count and you throw ball one, the you know, batting average is 350 in that count. And if you get strike one, it's, it's 200. 
and and then one one's even more so it's like if you go to two one it's like 380 and if you go to uh one two it's like 180 and it, they just showed me the numbers and i was just like this is crazy like i need to do i need to be in these counts as often as possible and you know i'm not andres munoz or matt brash i don't throw a hundred i i do believe in my stuff my dogs are here i do believe in my stuff um, I think I have really good stuff, but it's not, you know, a hundred. So for me, it's, I need to be in these counts as often as possible. And I, they told me that and I just kind of took it and run, and run with it. So, yeah. Speaking of stats and speaking of data, like, you may or may not know this or pay attention to this as two baseball nerds who always kind of dig through this stuff. Like we, we've seen this about you. You get guys to chase your pitches a lot. Like I'm talking like top of the league and chasing your pitches. Has that always been a part of your game or is that something that's evolved too? Um, you know, I think I, you know, have some swing and miss stuff, but I attribute the chase to the first pitch strike and getting ahead of hitters. Cause you know, when you get strike one, you're on the offense and the hitters on the defense. And then, you know, when you throw ball one, vice versa. So and I think, you know, as the season went on, guys guys started to realize, like, hey, this guy is going to throw you a lot of strikes. So guys were more aggressive, you know, I'd say. And I was able to maybe get a little more chase out of the zone because of that. And the rest of your arsenal, it sounds like it's evolving a little bit. You mentioned on the hot stove earlier this week that you're looking to add a cutter, been working on a cutter, and a split change as well. I guess to start with the cutter, what does that pitch offer that your other pitches don't? What do you want to achieve with that? Um, it would just be another pitch to use against right-handed hitters. Um, both my fastballs, I throw a four and two, uh, they move arm side. Um, and it would be, I think, really good to have something that's firm that moves glove side for right-handed hitters, kind of work the ball in on them. Um, and then the changeup as well. They're both, I would say they're kind of both uh, still in uh you know in the process of becoming part of the arsenal um i do believe in them and i think that they're going to be good for me but they were designed to be used mostly against right-handed hitters to just be a little more effective against righties what's the difference between a splitter and a split change i grip it like a splitter i call it a split change because it's not a true splitter it doesn't drop off the table like Logan Gilbert's does it it the profile is more of a changeup it moves more like a changeup the grip is just a split so it's not a true splitter so i just call it a split change and is that a splitter judged in vertical movement like i would say so um yeah i just you know i don't know what the like thresholds are for like calling if it's a split change or a splitter i just i think for me, I like calling it a split change because it's more of a mental thing for me. I'm not like totally splitting the ball between my fingers. It's more of just kind of a, a gradual, you know, more comfortable in my hand. I just spread it. And um, yeah, so I don't know if I just answered your question or not, but it's it's just it's more for me to like think more change up on it than just than splitter. So. When you look at this bullpen group heading into 2024, I know you talked about earlier in the show that, you know, it's it's really a shame to lose Topin. We thought the same thing. Like, like not only was he so good, but we we really loved talking to Justin, and, and he's just such a good dude, and we loved watching him pitch. But all that being said, 
when you see a guy like Gregory Sanchez get added to this bullpen, like there's got to be some excitement, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I uh, as soon as we traded for him, I watched some video of him throwing, and he's obviously electric. And uh, and uh, you know, Topa was too, but I think interchanging those two, I think um, we're going to be in a really good spot. Um, with the big three, you know, Munoz, Brash, and Santos, I think, and then, you know, me and Sauce and some other guys, Thornton, behind them, it's going to be, it's, I wouldn't want to hit against us. It's going to be a lot of fun this year, I think. Now that you have, now that the bullpen looks, for the most part, you have a pretty good idea what the bullpen's going to look like. Of the pitchers in that bullpen, if you were to take one pitch from one of them and add them to your arsenal, which one would it be? Oh, gosh. There's so many. I mean, I think it's tough to argue with the Matt Rush slider. Um, you've heard on lots of social media, hitters don't like that pitch. You see the swings that are taken on it. You're making Jose Ramirez, one of the best hitters in the league, fall over. I mean, I think it would be hard not to choose that. <laughs> what, what was your reaction when you saw that pitch for the first time in person? I mean, it's just crazy to me how he grips it. He, like, tucks his finger. I've never seen anybody even hold a slider that way. And then how he's able to throw it as hard as he does, like 90, sometimes 91, maybe even 92. Um, It's pretty amazing. And, you know, Brash, he's not, like, a massive dude. He's just super wiry. He's a really good athlete. And he gets down the mountain faster than anybody I've ever seen. He's just super snappy athlete, and he's fun to watch. If you were to step into the box against Matt Brasher's slider, how many swings would you need to barrel one up? Well, first off, I would probably be like Howie from Benchwarmers. <laughs> I'd probably probably be in the very back far corner, just like closing my eyes. But um, I don't think I could. I mean, it would take 100 pitches, probably. <laughs> If you were okay, well, off of Lyle's idea of bullpen hitting, if you're if we're gonna make a starting lineup out of out of your bullpen hitting wise, what how would you rank it? What what, what would you be building? I mean, I've talked to Sauce. Um, he says he wasn't a great hitter, so he might be out. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, but um, no, I'd put him in there. But I don't know. Um, lots of the guys, you know, I actually have a minor league home run. I. Uh, I'm two for nine in my my professional career with a single and home run. The first swing I ever took in pro ball, I hit a home run. It's like oh. one of my claim, claim to fame moments. Um, uh, so I think I'd be in there. But yep. well, where, <laughs> but, where um, was it? Was it like a a, a a good hitter's environment? Was the wind blowing out? Was, what were you thinking? Or did I mean, you that, just like did you crank this thing? I did not crank it. It did. It wasn't. <laughs> I hit it backside, so off Otaka. But the exit velo was like 90 miles an hour. The wind was howling, so it wasn't <laughs> anywhere else. It was in Biloxi. Uh, where's Biloxi? Where, Mississippi? Know. Mississippi? Mississippi, yes. Huh? Biloxi, Mississippi. Um, yeah, that was a highlight. I mean, I had a teammate who was left-handed as well who went backside home run, like three at-bats, and then I did it. And he was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like, you totally dis- discredited my home run. <laughs> he wasn't too happy about it. But yeah, that's a cool moment. I actually was asking my teammates if I could use their bat, and all of them were like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> so I went, 
I went back into the clubhouse and grabbed like a pro stock wood bat, and all of them were like black or tan. I was like, none of these are cool. And I like, pulled out this one, and it was like red. And I was like, oh, this one looks cool. And it was like a thirty-four inch, probably too much, too too much wood for me to be swinging. But uh, yeah, so brand new bat, one swing, home run. So there's one mark on the bat, and I had that bat back home. It's like up on the mantle. <laughs> What it sounds like is you probably didn't even get to bat flip that. No, no, I I hit it. The the right fielder started going back on it. I'm sorry, left fielder started going back on it, and uh, so I thought double. You know, like he's going back on it, and I gotta go. And then the crowd we were on the road, so the crowd was like, oh. So I was like, oh, he he must have caught it. So I like slowed up. I like stopped at second base, and I like look over at my third base coach, and he's like, dude, you hit a homer now. It was crazy, and I I knew the catcher for the other team. So when I touched home plate, the catcher was like, actually Jacob Nottingham, who was a Mariner, yeah, um, was like, "Dude, are you kidding me? Like, what the heck just happened?" And so it was funny. But, yeah. Do you remember who it was off? Like, was it off anybody that's in the big leagues now? No, I don't think so. I'd have to go back and look. Uh, this was 2017, so this is kind of a while ago now. I'm not, I'm, I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. Okay. Okay. I want to tee TJ up for this question a little bit because I know he found it, but you've gotten pretty good at coining some nicknames over the last year, haven't you? Yeah. I've been uh, nicknamed the nickname guy. <laughs> so if we're going to, if we're going to go through some here, Gabe, uh, I, I, want, I want a little reasoning behind, behind why you decided on some of these nicknames. So first of all, uh, I think you named yourself, right? Little Unit? No, that was Saucedo named me. Oh, okay. Sauce, Sauce and Topa named me that. Okay. Um, okay. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I uh, you know, obviously Randy Johnson is one of the best left-handed pitchers of all time. So it was, you know, kind of an honor to be doing that. I thought that they were going to give me some, you know, funny nickname. But yeah, it was kind of cool that they came up with that. Paul, I'm going to say Paul Seawalt because I think we all love Paul Seawalt here on this podcast yeah. right now. Uh, Big Hinge. Yeah. I came up with that because he's the closer. Uh, and I was kind of thinking like the big door, you close the door, the big, and I was like, oh, there's hinges on doors, like big hinge. So that's how I came up with that. Uh, and he, he calls me Lil Hinge. <laughs> we actually, we still, we still talk. He's a good friend of mine. Um, but yeah, that's how I came up with that one. I, I'm very intrigued by Matt Brash's little slab that has something to do with Canadian bacon, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. That one kind of took a little weird turn. I, I, uh, I was like, he's Canadian. What's, what's like, what do I think of when I think of Canada, Canadian bacon? I was like little bacon, little, and I was like, oh, I guess a slab of bacon. Yeah. little slab. So that's how I came. That was kind of my thought process on that one. And, and Saucedo's is is just perfectly weird. Lil Queso. <laughs> yeah, so Queso, he's he's Mexican, and his last name's Saucedo, Sauce. We call him Sauce. So I was like, Mexican Sauce. Oh, Queso. So that's how I came with that one. And then All the right. last one I have here, uh, Justin Topa's was Big Loaf. Like- that one has no connection to anything i was like rattling off some uh nicknames for taupe i couldn't really come up with anything it was i was kind of having a tough time with his 
and I kind of just blurted out big loaf and I got a reaction from everybody. Everybody kind of started laughing and thought it was a good one. <laughs> and so that's how it stuck is just because of the reaction I got when I said it. Um, but big loaf has nothing to do with Justin Topa. It was just kind of a funny name that everyone laughed at. Do we got any other ideas for some nicknames this year? Yeah, I I don't, you know, right now I'm going to have to sit down and think on it. I got to get uh, Munoz still doesn't have one. Um, and obviously Santos is going to need one. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to have to think on that and come up with some good ones. That'll be a pretty good follow-up question with you at some point when we say, hey, maybe it's mid-season or something, and we, yeah. and we ask you, well, these guys have nicknames yet? Because I'll be interested to know. Those are two guys who could have some pretty unique nicknames, so I'm looking yeah, forward to it. Yeah, you guys definitely come back to me on that. I'll, I'll try to come up with something good. Yeah, Gabe, okay. so when Lyle comes and finds you on the field during the regular season, uh, you should have one for him as well. Okay. <laughs> I could do that. For for whatever. You, you want one too, TJ? I'll take one, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. I don't know if I'm giving you a head start here, Gabe. Maybe I am. I get told by a lot of people I look like Pete Davidson, so maybe that's a head okay. start. Okay. So, so if you need I'll, one, I'll, I was thinking yeah. that. No, or that Lil, helps. Uh, Lil PB and J. Oh, I do eat a lot of. I do eat a okay. lot of PB and Js. For, for whatever. Crustables, or do you make your own? Uh, I make my own. Like, okay, Uncrustables are good, but I feel like I little. I have a little bit more. Uh, or sorry, a little bit less guilt if I don't go to the store and buy the Uncrustables. If I actually make them at home, there's a sense of like, all right, it's a tad little bit healthier, even though it's probably yeah. like very <laughs> marginal. So just yeah. to make myself feel a little better, I make them at home. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't be a PB&J. I, I lived off those in the minor leagues and, you know, I definitely got sick of them at some point, but I still, I still love them. Were you an Uncrustables guy or did you make them? If they have them, like in the, I have never like bought any, but sometimes they'll have them in the clubhouse, and yeah, it's a good little, good little snack. I like that. Okay, yeah. I've I've got one final question for you before we kind of get to our like wrap up subject with you, which is okay. I don't know if you've ever heard this. I I had this thought before I ever talked to you, so I'm curious if you've ever heard it from any anybody else. But not just when you're on the mound, but when you're walking around, maybe it's something about you being at the field. Does anybody ever tell you you've got like a death stare on you most of the time? Like you're just kind of <laughs> laser, laser focused. You ever heard that? Uh, no, that's the first time I've heard that, but it makes sense. I mean, I have these kind of like squinty eyes that kind of maybe portray that kind of resting, not so nice face. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I've never been told that, but I, I think it makes sense. I kind of have that scowl about uh-huh. me, maybe. Um, yeah, I'm. I like to think of myself as a mellow, you know, nice guy. But yeah, definitely when I'm out there, I turn into a different person. I mean, I, you know, I'm gonna do everything I can to get you out, and I have an intensity behind it. But um, off the field, I'm pretty mellow guy. Well, so that's what I was gonna get at, and I know Logan Gilbert's like that too, where he's super nice off the field, but when he gets on the mound, he looks like he's just gonna, you know, want to tear you right apart. But just a little funny story. Hopefully we're in the trust tree here. But I remember when, when we talked to you for the first time, I think TJ and I were both there together and, and we went up to you. And previously, I had thought to myself, I think I want to let Spire be. This guy looks like he would just drill a hole right through me with his eyes if I talked to him because <laughs> you always look laser focused. And then we went up to him. I think it was TJ that talked to you. And once we were done and, and, and once we had talked and all, I think I turned to him and was like, oh, yeah, he was he was pretty cool. He was super nice. I was like, that's why you don't judge a book by its cover. 
Yeah, you know, I uh, I've been you know treated, you know, you know everybody has, you know, you get treated a certain way and it doesn't feel good. And I really try to pride myself on being a nice human being. And um, I think it takes more effort to be mean than it does to be nice. It's just so easy to be nice to people. Mm-hmm. So I don't. It doesn't make sense to me when people are like that. And so, you know, I've. And even I've been through some situations where, you know, in AAA, you see guys get sent down and they're super salty and they don't talk to anybody. They're always in a bad mood. And I always told myself, I'm never going to be that guy. You know, it's not a lot of fun to be around. Um, so, and I've been up and down, you know, and I always try to be nice to everybody. There's just no reason at all to be mean. So. Well, I think a lot of people can appreciate that. I think I would I'd like to speak for the both of us when I say I think we try our best to both do that. Or maybe you feel differently, TJ. Maybe you like to be mean. No, I'm pretty nice. I know. I'm, I'm messing I with mean, you. I mean, obviously, there are circumstances, you know, I don't have to switch, you know. Yeah. It is hard to flip, but I do have That's fair. Well, it seems like for the most part, you use it when you're on the mound, which is probably just about the best place you can use it. So we yeah, appreciate absolutely. it. Okay, so we wrap up these interviews with with a lot of the players with five kind of fun questions to let fans get to know you a little bit better. And we'll start with the first one, which is your go-to pregame and post-game meal is what? Ooh, I, I love carbs. I love bread and pasta and all that fun stuff, pre- and post-game. So anything that involves carbs. I uh, Like I said, pasta, pizza. Um, Stuff like that. Is there a key though to like because you guys got to wait around for six innings before you get into the game? Like, where do you find the balance of not falling asleep? Yeah, asleep? you know, pre that's where pre workout comes into play. I do have a routine of of uh, like I take my pre workout in like the third or fourth inning, kind of depending on how the starter's doing and and if I might have to go in a little earlier or later. But um, yeah, lots of caffeine. <laughs> And in, we do have a snack bag out in the bullpen, so uh, definitely everybody's partaking in that. Um, so, yeah, just snacking and lots of caffeine. Any smelling <laughs> salts? Uh, <laughs> you know, Topa used to do that, and oh. um, I would do that sometimes, like if I was feeling a little extra tired or whatnot. And they do help. I feel um, – that initial kick of a smelling salt really gets you, but it wears off pretty fast. So I don't know how useful it is, but I mean, if, if somebody has it, I mean, I, I'll do it. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's better suited for your brother-in-law. Who's the 49ers punter, Mitch, which now yeah. that's, that's short. Yeah. So you could do it right before you punt and then exactly. put it right inside the five. Yeah. I could like hide one in my glove or something. There you go. <laughs> now I'm, I'm pretty good with my routine. I'm happy with it. So, but like I said, if if somebody has it, like, can't hurt to try. Mm-hmm. Next question, Gabe. Your three favorite TV shows ever? Ever. Ooh. I, I've watched Breaking Bad two times through. Love that one. That's probably at the top of the list. Um, Sons of Anarchy. Then uh, watched it for the first time. I think it was in high school. And, and I've watched it a few more times. But I was really into that one. And then one that me and my wife love is uh, How I Met Your Mother. That's a good one. Um, yeah, so I'd say those three. Okay, that's a pretty good balance of shows. Breaking got, Bad, so, yeah. yeah, I'll say we've gotten Breaking Bad almost every single time. Almost. Yeah. 
Okay, all right. Well, if I had to add a fourth, let's see. I uh, Friday Night Lights. It's a really oh, good one. Mm. It's another one I watched with my wife. That one was really good. Who Who's your favorite character in the show? I was always a Tim Riggins guy. Oh, yeah. Tim Riggins. Yeah, he's he's easily takes the cake. Did you guys yeah. not think that show was corny? No. I mean, yeah. It, I mean, maybe a little, but sometimes oh. corny's good, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, Cobra Kai, that show. Oh, yeah. Corny. I mean, that's as corny as it but, gets, but yeah, it's still excellent. It's it's watchable, and, yeah. It's, yeah. and it's like one of those shows you can kind of have on the background that definitely has its place, so... Yeah. Okay, I will um, say yeah. the corny part of Friday Night Lights, my brother talks about this nonstop, especially when we used to watch it. He used to say the play calling of these games was ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, here's a little bubble pass. He's going to rip it 78 yards for a touchdown, yeah. so to speak. And he's like, I yeah, can't buy I that. Yeah, I think the show is more about the drama than the right. than the play on the field, for sure. But, I mean, it, it sucks you in for for whatever reason. I mean, that's a... That's a show I put on. Like, my parents love it. Like, everyone I've talked to has said that they love it. So, yeah. Okay. Third question for you is best and worst baseball road trip you've ever made? This can include the minors. I mean, best. I'll start with the best. Um, I mean, flying as a major league player on chartered flights, chartered flights is, it's, it doesn't get any better. I mean, uh, the Seattle's plane is really nice. Every seat in that plane is like better than first class. It's, it's, uh, you can't beat it. It's really nice. I know Seattle's kind of up in the top corner and the flights are longer for us, but, um, I mean, you're flying private and it's, it's really nice. So those are definitely the best. Um, and worst was probably in the Texas league when it was with, uh, the Royals. And we played, our team was in Arkansas, just like the Travelers are, but we were in Northwest Arkansas. And that trip down to like Corpus Christi, Texas, and when you go and play those Texas teams, it's like a 14-hour bus ride. Mm -hmm. And you do it on an off day, too, so your off day is gone. Um, and sometimes we'd get sleeper buses where like the there's like bunk beds on the bus, which was like, okay. But uh, sometimes we wouldn't. So I'd definitely say... Those fourteen-hour bus rides with, with no, without a sleeper bus, definitely the worst. Is any MLB city your favorite to actually go to? The the flights do sound great. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're nice, and you know we got meals on the flight. I mean it's nice. Um, any city, I mean I love playing in Seattle. That's my number one for sure. But if uh, I were to choose anything else, um, I mean playing in New York is awesome. I mean just all the history with the Yankees and all that. And their stadiums, you know, pretty new. And it's really nice. The food that they serve there is awesome. I had a really good experience there. Uh, so I'd say that, yeah, New York. Okay, Gabe, next question. Your favorite all-time baseball player? This one's easy for me. I I grew up a huge Giants fan, San Francisco. And I grew up when Barry Bonds was doing his thing. So it's like hands down, Barry Bonds. Okay, so it sounds like all three of us can agree on this show then. He should be a Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, I mean, he's the best He's he's the best player ever. Yeah, yes. Far. Yeah. I mean, I know the whole, you know, PD thing, but it's also hard to argue that nobody, I mean, like everybody was, it seems like so yeah. much of the league was doing it at that time. And... I think he gets a little more backlash because of what he was doing, mm -hmm. you know, like all the home runs and, but I mean, 
not just his hitting, like he's got however many gold gloves and and however many stolen bases, like he all around is like the clear best player ever. The whole seven MVPs, the next guy's got three, like yeah. it, he's just he's unbelievable. The, like the home run, but the plate discipline. Like yeah. was better than I his mean, power. Yeah, I mean if you really think about it, he really he probably got one p- good pitch to hit a game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe not even. Maybe not even. And he just never missed. It's just crazy how he was able to put up the numbers he did and, and half the league wasn't even pitching to him. Yeah. So, and he was playing in, at the time, Pac Bell, which is Oracle now, but that is not a good park for a left-handed hitter. So <laughs> he's just a freak. No. Imagine if he had played in Yankee Stadium for his home park. I know. Okay. And yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Okay. Last one we've got for you. If you weren't playing baseball, what do you think you'd be doing? I mean, I've always said um, a firefighter, but realistically, I would probably be involved in the game some some way, shape, or form, either you know, working at a baseball facility, helping high school kids get better, or coaching at a college or something like that. I love baseball so much that I would probably be involved uh, in the game in some way would be my my best guess. So coaching over something like the front office. I mean, that, you know, intrigues me as well. I think that that would be more up my alley. I really do like, you know, kind of the analytical part of the game and it's become so big and it, and it's helped me in my career. And, and if, you know, um, it would be a lot of fun to be on that side of the, uh, on that side of things. Well, never say never, right? When eventually a long time from now, when your pitching career is over, you never know. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's helped that I've pitched kind of in this era where analytics have, you know, become a much bigger part of the game. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's going to continue to grow even more so. And so, yeah, I think that that probably helps. And I, uh, I would definitely be open to doing something like that. That's really cool. It really is. Yeah. Gabe, this has been awesome. Like we've had a blast talking to you over the last 40 minutes or so. We're thrilled that you're back in Arizona and gearing up for another big year. And we can't wait to watch you have another big year. So we appreciate all the time. Yeah, of course. Anytime. Thank you guys. It's, it's been a pleasure and a lot of fun for me too. Fantastic conversation with Mariners reliever Gabe Spire. Before we wrap up the show, a word from BetterHelp. Is something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? Regardless, if you have a clinical mental health issue like depression or anxiety, or you're just a human who lives in this world who's going through a hard time, therapy can give you the tools to approach your life in a very different way. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp's mission is to make therapy more affordable and more accessible. And this is an important mission because finding a therapist can be really hard, especially when you're limited to options in your area. BetterHelp is a platform that makes finding a therapist easier because it's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you with a professional therapist in as little as a few days. It's easy to sign up and get matched with a therapist. There's a link in our description. It's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. That's betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod. Clicking the link helps support this podcast, but also gets you 10% off your first month of BetterHelp so you can connect with a therapist and see if it helps you. So if you're struggling, consider online therapy with BetterHelp. Click the link in the description or visit betterhelp.com slash marinelayerpod.
That'll just about wrap up this edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know the drill. If you want to listen to the full-form podcast, do so wherever you get your audio pods. Download our episodes. Leave us a five-star review. Leave a written review, too. Let us know what you think. All feedback is appreciated, and you're doing us a big favor. Like, comment, subscribe on YouTube, that big red subscribe button. Just take one second, two seconds to just hit it. Another big, big, big solid you guys do for us if you just hit subscribe. And then check us out on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. That's TJ. I'm Lyle. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>